morning, everyone. In case we haven't met, my name is Steph Roller. I'm on the teaching team here at Orchard Hill Church, and I am happy that you are joining us for week two of a series we're calling My Family, My People. And we are focusing on Philippians chapter two during these three weeks, and each week we will have a focus on a different type of family relationship. But let's remember that we always have something to learn from anything God has to teach, even if it doesn't exactly match our situation. For example, a few weeks ago, I taught about how to handle hatred for your faith, and I had a mom tell me that the lesson she learned was gonna help her navigate something with her 12-year-old daughter. Not my intention, but there's always a way to apply what Jesus teaches. I'm pretty sure she was referring to the part where I said, silence is sometimes your best option. And I've been there as a mom, which brings me to my specific topic and focus today, parenting relationships. But if you are single or you've already raised your kids, please don't tune out because Jesus didn't have kids either. And he still had a lot to say, which means we still have a lot to learn. And that's why we're calling this series, My Family, My People. You don't have to have the exact family dynamic we're touching on in order to learn something. So I know that you can get a million books on parenting. And we all have a lot of different parenting styles. I am definitely not up here to try and say, I was the best mom ever, and you should do exactly what I did. Far from it. I'm not going to talk about whether you should spank or not spank, whether you should have a rigid schedule for your kids or you should be flexible, whether you should follow the five-second rule when that pacifier falls to the floor, or you should disinfect the heck out of that thing. But I'll tell you some truth. By the time your second kid comes along, the five-second rule has become the five-minute rule unless the dog left it, for sure. I was such an imperfect mom that I didn't know that sippy cups had a removable valve. I didn't know it for months. And when I finally pulled that out of there, yeah, the black mold I pulled out was incredible. And Brock says that's why he doesn't get sick because I grew him his own penicillin. <laughs> I can't tell you what age your kids can be left home alone or where they should get a cell phone or when they should be allowed to date. If that's what you're looking for, you can find a million experts willing to tell you exactly how they think you should parent. Honestly, in hindsight, I think most books about parenting are only good for causing you anxiety. But God is the author of family. He's the author of relationship. And so as Christian parents, today let's try to focus as much as we can on what he has to say. And he's not going to comment on the five-second rule, but he'll weigh in on much more important things. And again, we're going to feel free to apply anything we learn to any relationship that we have. But before we get to today's scripture from Philippians, I want to go back to the beginning. Because I don't think that we can understand how much God values relationship, how much importance he puts on them, how much he wants to be in a relationship with us, unless we do. At the beginning of creation, when God created us, he was not alone. He was not lonely. He was already in relationship with Jesus and with Holy Spirit. The Trinity existed, a relationship closer than we can understand. So close, they are one God. In the second verse of the entire Bible, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
Isaiah talks about the Holy Spirit in chapter 63, and David in Psalm 51, in many other places, we find mention of him. And we sometimes forget that Holy Spirit was present and part of the community of God well before he descended at Pentecost. Clearly, we know Jesus was there at the beginning as well from John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. So God was in good and close company when he created us. And why the heck does that matter in a series about family? Because God said that he created us in his likeness, like him. God existed in community, in a family, and he created us to exist that way too. So we must embrace that we were created for relationships as hard and risky and messy and ugly as they can sometimes be, if we're going to try and understand what God teaches about them. It might be easier for us to just hide away and avoid other people sometimes, but that's not how he created us to live. God put us into families from the beginning. Relationships, they mold us, they refine us. We practice being in them in our families, whatever kind of families they are, and that helps us develop a relationship with God. And then our relationship with God teaches us to be better in our families. It's constant learning from us, learning from God, practicing with each other. And we so strongly believe in the importance of community and relationship here at Orchard Hill Church that it is one of our core values. And today, our key word for practicing being in family is humility. I'm bringing humility as it relates to parenting because I don't know anything I've ever done that has required more humility than parenting. And whether this topic brings you feelings of nostalgia about your own kids or feelings of absolute terror at the thought of being a parent, don't worry. My hope is that no matter what, you'll think about humility and a few of the things Jesus taught about it. So humility is simply having a modest view of your own importance. You don't think you're the most important thing. You're not the king of the hill, the big kahuna, all that in a bag of chips, the bomb, fire, or whatever the slang word of the day is. So let's start in Philippians 2, where Paul is talking about being Christ-like in our relationships, and he throws at us this idea that we should be humble with each other because Christ was. And I'd like us to explore not only how this applies to parenting and our other relationships, but also how we might get this wrong sometimes, despite our best intentions. So we're going to start in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. This is relationship instruction, how we should interact with each other. Not in selfish ambition, not in vain conceit, but in humility, look out for each other. In your relationships with one another, have the mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus, who had equal status with God, did not seek to cling to that power, but instead in humility, he gave it away and became a servant. And he did that be by becoming human. And being found in the appearance of a man, 
he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So once Jesus humbled himself to become human, he humbled himself even more and chose to die in our place on the cross. When it comes to relationships, one of Jesus's main values is humility. It's the backbone of his relationship with us. We couldn't even be in relationship with him if he had not humbled himself in this way. In fact, he teaches that the more of a power position you are in, the more humble you should be. So if you're a parent or a CEO or a team captain or in any leadership position, the higher you are, the more humble you should be. How do I know this? He tells us in John 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And of course, we know that he went on to wash his disciples' feet. But I want you to really pay attention to this connecting word, so. The word so also means therefore, right? It doesn't say, in spite of being God, he washed his disciples' feet. It says, he knew he was God, and therefore, he washed his disciples' feet. That's humility. Thinking less of yourself than others, even when you have every right to think more of yourself. Humility. We change our kids' diapers, not in spite of being parents, but because we are parents. That's totally following Jesus' lead. And I don't want to spend a lot more time talking about doing things for our kids, because of course we know as parents we need to serve our kids, that we give up our status. A crying baby at two in the morning doesn't know or care how important you are in the outside world. Puke is an equal opportunity projectile. <laughs> and I don't need to convince most of you to humble yourself to serve your kids. But we can go wrong right here as parents and in our other relationships. How? We read something like this passage and we think it means that to be humble, to serve them, we should do everything for our kids all the time. We should give them anything they want, allow every behavior. We should make their lives as easy as possible. I mean, that must be what Jesus means for us to do, right? Look what he just did. But this is the danger of reading only a part of scripture and not looking at the whole picture. And while Jesus didn't have kids, he did have his disciples whom he loved and mentored just like kids. Did Jesus do everything for them? No. No, he didn't. In fact, he sent them out to get food. He sent them to find lodging, to serve others, to preach. He asked them to pray, to stand guard, and to build his church. He did not lavish expensive gifts on them or pave an easy road for them. They were not spoiled. And yet, they went on to build the entire Christian faith. Maybe parenting with humility means more than serving our kids like Cinderella. Maybe it means doing something like what Jesus did for his disciples. So what did he do? Way more than I can talk about this morning, for sure. And so here's what I did. 
I just picked a couple of things for us to talk about together based on what Jesus did with his disciples as we think about parenting, mentoring, or coaching with humility. Here's the first thing. Discipline your kids. Or maybe you prefer to say disciple your kids. I don't care. Discipline comes from the Latin word meaning instruction and training. And both discipline and disciple come from the same root word, which just means to learn. To learn. And in order to learn, our kids have to have a teacher, and that's our job. So discipline, disciple, teach your kids. Long time ago, I had a friend who told me, this is my only kid. If I want to spoil her rotten, I will. And that was the saddest parenting goal I'd ever heard. And I think it's a pretty sad grandparenting goal too. It's not really kind or cute or nice or funny. She was saying, and this is what she meant, that she was either too self-centered or too vain or too lazy to do any discipline, and she was going to give that girl anything and everything she wanted, let her do anything and everything she wanted until she was rotten. I mean, rotten means decayed, dead. She might have meant well, but that's not how Jesus modeled humble mentoring. We've all spoiled our kids. Me too. Hopefully not until they were rotten. But most of the time, it's not intentional like this case. It's accidental. And so I want us to think about being deliberate with discipline or discipleship of our kids. And I also bring it up because God talks about it. And here's a couple of examples. In Proverbs 3, he says this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, his correction, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. A father who loves his son disciplines him, corrects him, teaches him. Ephesians 6 says this, fathers, do not exasperate, do not frustrate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This implies that if you don't bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord, they're going to be frustrated. So let's set aside the things, things that we normally associate with teaching our kids, like reading and shapes and colors or calculus. Forget the five-second rule. God's word doesn't speak so much about teaching those things, does it? Jesus doesn't talk about reading levels or college degrees either. What Jesus taught, what he disciples are life skills relationship skills, the ways of the kingdom. He was a craftsman, but I have never read him talking about or teaching how to use a tool. He was hung out with fishermen, and unfortunately, he never taught me how to tie a fishing knot. Jesus was deliberate about teaching things like humility, generosity, looking out for others, patient, kindness, gentleness, self-control, how to exist in a family, how to get along in a community. So what does discipline, the teaching of these behaviors, these kingdom values, have to do with humility? <laughs> a lot. Because you're going to need a lot of humility to get this done. Now, if you've never been a parent, or you've not been through all the stages, you might think this looks really easy, and you might even fall into that trap of looking in from the outside and saying, my kid will never. Or... My kid will always. And then one day, you get a call from the elementary school telling you that your youngest just flipped off Mr. Williams' fifth grade teacher, and you realize, 
My kid would, will do that thing I never thought they'd do. Jesus had the same thing. His disciples didn't always behave as he wished either. He taught humility, and still James and John wanted to know who would get to sit next to him on the throne. He taught forgiveness, and Peter still tried to cut off Malchus's ear with a sword. He asked them to stay awake and pray, and they fell asleep. And it's our job, like Jesus did, to correct them, to ask them to try again or use whatever form of discipline teaches the lesson. I can't tell you what that will be. You know what? It's not even the same for every kid. But it's our job to do it, even when it's embarrassing or your ego is hurt or you suffer some kind of humility for doing it. One of my sisters-in-law sent her daughter upstairs to her room for discipline over something a long time ago. She was pretty young, but somehow she managed to climb up on her dresser and open her window and then shout to the entire neighborhood, help, they're keeping me captive in here. They're hurting me, save me. And she shouted it over and over. This was a new neighborhood. And God bless her, to her credit, her mom let her scream. And that took the humility of knowing that discipling this girl was more important than how she looked to the neighbors. And over your years as parents, you'll have a hundred stories like that. Try, even in the most humbling of times, to think about our primary job, teaching our kids to learn the ways of Jesus, teaching humility, service, the fruits of the Spirit, even when we've taught those things over and over and over again, teach it again and teach it again and teach it again. That's what Jesus did. And that's humility in parenting. When we recognize that their discipleship is way more important than our reputation or our ego. Humble yourself enough to give them your most precious earthly possession, your time. No one can make more of it, and we have a high demand on it. But try and give a lot of it to those that you teach. This idea of quality time, that comes from a parenting book. It sounds good, but it really doesn't work the way you think. Jesus spent quantity time with his disciples. Lots and lots of time, years and years of time. Much of it doing nothing especially memorable. Walking making meals, fishing. But quantity of time matters because you don't know when in that big bucket of quantity you're going to have that quality moment. It was while walking on the road to Jerusalem that James and John asked about their place in heaven and they had a crucial conversation where Jesus had to correct them and teach them again. A long walk together, a lot of time to talk. And you might think you can schedule crucial conversations, but that never works like you think it will. For any parent who has tried to schedule the talk, you know what I'm talking about. Awkward and unproductive. Instead, a long vacation simply cooking breakfast together in the cabin led to the cracking of an egg that had a fertilized embryo in it, which led to an unscheduled the talk with my elementary kid who promptly declared he sure hoped people didn't have to do that, and I left a lot of that conversation for a future unscheduled time. Giving away your time, something so precious, that's a humble act, isn't it? 
that's making yourself less important and that's when those quality things will happen. That's what Jesus did. And that's a lesson that we definitely can apply to any relationship that we're in. So finally, humble yourself enough to understand that each child is on their own path. They each have their own calling and it's not yours. Your children are not meant to achieve some unfulfilled desire of yours. They're not a mini-me. They're not your possession. They're not you. And if you're trying to find your value through your kids, if you're trying to find your worth through them, then they have become an idol for you. They have replaced God as the source of your identity. And that's not what Jesus would teach us. Children are an awesome gift from God, but our value is only found in the giver of gifts, who's God, and not in the gifts themselves, even our children. This is a real struggle for us because we invest so much time in them, don't we? And as someone who has launched kids, I understand that struggle. And so I urge you, do a gut check once in a while through your parenting years or whatever relationship you are in. Has that person become an idol for you? That is as unhealthy for them as it is for you. And it's so easy to make that happen. But Ephesians 4 can help us. It says this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. Understand this verse as it applies to you and your kids or you and any relationship. The calling I received or my husband received in our lives, it's not the calling my kids have received. And so don't try to live through them or force them into your mold. It's dishonoring to the God who created them for the purpose that he has in mind. Our job is to raise them up in the discipleship of Jesus and spend enough time with them to encourage and help them find that calling. Some of Jesus' disciples wanted to come with him, too. And he said, no, where I'm going, you cannot follow. His calling was not theirs. He knew they had a different path. And so at some point, we open our hands and we let them walk away. We step away as their primary teacher. And this is our most difficult act of parenting with humility when we give up our position of authority in their lives and hope that Jesus is now their mentor and teacher and they are now being disciplined and discipled by him. There's just so much more to talk about in humility in parenting or any relationship and I'm out of time so this is it. I'm asking you to think about humility in all of your relationships this week. Are you in a friendship, in a marriage, a mentoring position? Are you a son or a daughter? How might you make that better with humility? And most important of all, are you humbled in your relationship with God? Are you allowing him to discipline you? Are you spending time with him, lots and lots of time? Is he your most important relationship? I feel like we could have an open mic night about humility and parenting. And I, I would start it off with this great story I have about pizza and puke. And I thought, the thought of all of us sharing those things, it's both funny and encouraging. 
because we're not alone in our struggles or our successes. And that's because we live in this family that God created for us. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm glad to be a part of this family with you. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you created us in your likeness to exist in, the, in community. And we know that we don't do it so perfectly that we are one the way your community with Jesus and the Holy Spirit is. But God, we're trying to learn from you, and so thank you for sending Jesus to help teach us. Thank you for forgiving us when we mess it up. Thank you for surrounding us with people who can help us, who can teach us, who can mentor us, who can lead us. And God, in humility, we come before you, our Father, and we say thank you for all that you've done. And thank you for sending our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we offer this prayer.